Trader, we used to date, now we don't. That's Matt Fisher, that's Ryan Whedon. Uh, howdy. So I hit a uh, personal and professional low this weekend. Oh dear. I did Uber Eats for McDonald's twice. <laughs> Matt. Yeah, it was a low point, like I said. Was it the same driver? Oh, thank God, no. <laughs> Although some dude on Grindr, some like cute guy who was like, you know, buzzing around like the proximity... And I started chatting with him, and he's an Uber driver. Uber Eats, because he, oh. uh, yeah, that's, like, the only one that he likes to do. And I was really worried that, like, he was going to be delivering me my double quarter pounder with Oreo <laughs> McFlurry. <laughs> do you think, yeah, you were chatting, and all of a sudden it just, like, all conversation gets cut off <laughs> after you sent in your, your Uber Eats order? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> uh, but, oh, my God. I'm a, I'm a big fan of like mixing salty and sweet. Like okay. I'll put like Nutella's on a saltine. Oh right, we've, we've had this discussion. Nutella. Yeah, uh, and I would say an equally good treat is soft serve ice cream with French fries. <sighs> I thought you were going to say on a on a Big Mac. <laughs> oh, oh no, the the Big Mac is the punishment part <laughs> of McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't need Big Macs. Who needs three buns? Like. Get real, Ryan. <laughs> uh, double quarter pounder. More meat, less bread. I see. Mm-hmm. You know. And even then, I usually get rid of one of the two buns. Double quarter pounder. Why don't they just call it a half pounder? It sounds sexual. <laughs> uh, Is that what the focus group said? <laughs> I'd be willing to bet they have, like, a trademark on the name quarter pounder. Oh, okay. Uh... Because I don't think it's actually a quarter pound of meat. <laughs> it's just, that's the name for the type of burger you're getting. It's mm. not at all descriptive oh. of your burger. Uh, I'd be hard-pressed to think that's a quarter pound of meat on those things. Yeah, and we, it wouldn't even work if you weighed it afterwards to like see if it was a quarter pound. Because I'm sure that they could say, Afterwards? Oh, yeah. Like when I'm done chewing it? Yeah. Just get on the scale, eat it, and then get on the scale again. And if you're... A quarter pound more. <laughs> That's accurate. I mean, A, those things sit in your gut like a brick. <laughs> they feel heavier than a quarter pound. But yeah. When you're holding your, your cardboard container, you're like, mm, this feels like a fifth of a pound to me. <laughs> but, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff that gets cooked off, so it could be a quarter pound before they cook it. Mm. Boy. Oh, that's not an appetizing notion. Mm. Yeah. Where does it go? Rainbows, how the fuck do they work? <laughs> right? No one will ever know. Uh, it's you, a mystery. You, yeah, you can't find these things out. <clears throat> Morality question for you. Ethics question. If right. I killed someone, would you turn me in? Well... Uh, am I finding this out, like, after you've already done the deed and cleaned it all up and this was years ago? Or are you calling me and saying, Ryan, I need your help cleaning up a mess? <laughs> um, I mean, no offense, but you're not really the first person I'd call. That's <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> I mean, I have nothing to back this up, but something tells me you'd be squeamish in a situation like that. Ugh. Like, I need, like, a hardline, clear-eyed thinker. Mm. Like... Someone with no... Re- I guess you're just... You strike me as a human, like, with emotions. 
And I need like a cold, calculating bitch. Yeah, I'm mm. uh, I'm a terrible liar in that regard for sure. Oh. I think I would spill the beans to like if I saw your neighbor as I'm leaving, and they're like, "Hi, how's it going?" There's a dead body. Oh, so really, if you knew about it, you'd just be a liability to me. Is what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> so if you have killed someone, please keep it to yourself. Okay. I'm uh, I'm not going to be able to help you. In fact, I will hinder your okay. efforts to cover it up. So let's say you found out, but I didn't tell you. Like, you find out, like, oh. through some other means. Like, you know, I like, like in The Descent, <laughs> and, like, she's still breathing, uh-huh. and, like, grabs you by, like, your, your collar, and is like, it, it was Matt. <laughs> it was Matt. I'd be like, Matt who? Matt who? <laughs> Don't die. <laughs> Which Matt Fisher? <laughs> um... Man, maybe it's just because I listen to so much My Favorite Murder, but I've got to go to the cops. Really? I don't know if I could just sit on that. Um, phrasing? <laughs> just feel like it would uh, eat me up from inside. I would get And you don't have enough body cancer. fat to spare. Yeah, it just... It would manifest itself in something bad inside me. Apologize. Who have you killed? <laughs> Well, no one yet, but I'm gauging my accomplices, so... <laughs> I have a follow-up question for you. Mm. If you knew that I knew, would you kill me? Absolutely. <laughs> like, I'm really good at compartmentalizing. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'd murder you. Mm-hmm. The audience can't see the stabbing motions I'm making. Uh, and then I'd chop up the body, dissolve it in acid... And then, like, drain it into the ocean. Uh, and then I would cry for weeks at what I'd done. Okay. But it would be, like, well after I'd done everything. Sure. Like, after it was, like, you and everyone you loved to make sure, just in case you, you know, squealed to anybody. Mm-hmm. And then burn down your house. Well, whatever you do, get Fred Durst's lawyer. Because. Fred Durst's lawyer? Yeah, isn't that his name? From Limp Biscuit? Oh, that's, uh... <laughs> What's the name of the guy from the Jinx? Isn't it? Oh, it's like Robert Durst or something. Robert Durst. Shit. <laughs> yeah, get Fred Durst lawyer. Sure got him out of that nookie conundrum. <laughs> I want to know why you did it, Fred. <laughs> I did it for the nookie! <laughs> I saw that you watched King Cobra. Is it that obvious? <laughs> is it is it how I'm talking or walking? Am I am I changed that much? It's yeah, all you, you something's can, different. You, you can tell that I'm a man now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I watched the hotly anticipated film King Cobra mm-hmm. over the weekend, and. It's one of those movies that, in a certain light, is sort of made for me. Okay. I'm a big fan of erotic thrillers. So if you make all the characters gay, uh, that just really helps everything. Yeah, you're just on then board. I'm really on board. Also, it wasn't terribly directed or written. They're textbook, but it's solid. Okay. Part of me wish that the movie had gone, like, either one of two directions. Like, gone, like, full Verhoeven. Because mm-hmm. uh, really, this movie would have been perfectly in his wheelhouse, or gone the other way and been full Greg Araki. Oh, because I feel like if you made it less of a, like a true crime drama mm-hmm. and just made it like 
you know, joke stylized. Or, yeah. yeah. Either one of those directions, I feel, would have made it a superior movie. And the way that it is right now is just sort of in the middle. Yeah. I also feel like Christian Slater's kind of come into his own. Like, he's kind of hit his acting stride. It no longer feels like he's imitating Jack Nicholson. Mm. I feel like he's actually, like, figured out his own acting rhythms. And, okay. Uh, I watched the outtakes of the movie. It seemed like he was having a ball on this film. Nice. So, Worth a watch? Oh, uh, definitely. Like, definitely entertaining. Especially if you don't know the story. Mm. I'm glad to hear that you watched an erotic thriller and uh, also name-dropped Paul Verhoeven because mm. I watched an erotic thriller directed by Paul Verhoeven that you have previously mentioned on this podcast, L. Yeah. I liked it a lot. Okay. It was great. It's so nice to have a main character who's a woman who is complicated mm. AF. Like, <laughs> she's got a, you know, crazy job. She's, like, exploring her sexuality, which is very difficult one to explore. See, I don't feel like she was exploring her sexuality. I kind of feel like she already knew it. And I... she was just trying to find proper outlets for it. Maybe. I figured it was more of her kind of discovering that, no, I'm actually into this. Mm. So do you think that uh, Paul Verhoeven cast Isabella Hubert for this role because it's strikingly similar to her role in The Piano Teacher? Possibly. Uh, I just remember they're both sniffing, like, cum rag tissues. Oh, yeah. While masturbating. I'm like, is this is this an accident that she's been in two movies where this is a scene? Maybe that's always her suggestion. <laughs> she's like, I got, I, I know, I know what needs to happen next. <laughs> I know exactly what this movie needs. <laughs> feature i am i am i decided uh this is our first movie post hex rated boo v's schlocktoberfest mm-hmm. uh we're, we're in the november sort of a you know reflective period so i wanted to choose something life-affirming and just kind of happy ending-ish so i chose the documentary marwin call which is about mark hogan camp who's a man who got beaten up so much that he went into a coma for nine days and uh, was in the hospital for 40, but then created this whole world as his, uh, as his therapy, used art to uh, help himself out. So part of his recovery or part of the trauma, like the damage done in the attack, is that he lost his memories mm-hmm. from everything prior to the attack. When you show him pictures or video footage, he can remember, like, sensations or just, like, that specific moment, but he can't recall context. Yeah. And... He says it's like... The memory is like a photograph where it's just that moment in time for him. Yeah. The film is interesting because they show his journals from before the attack. Like, he kept, like, a journal or a diary or whatever you want to call it. Sure. And it has things like drawings in it. Like, he was naturally creative before the attack prior yeah but he didn't really act upon it outside of just drawing in journals and i remember one drawing in particular because he abused alcohol like usually they say like when you're an alcoholic you're you you never were an alcoholic you are an alcoholic right 
Uh, and it's just, you know, are you in recovery or are you, are you practicing? Mm-hmm. And one of the drawings was like, there was like a woman wearing like high heeled <laughs> leather boots and pasties. And she was like pinning a drawing of him to a wall. And she had like a bottle of booze in her hand. Right. And was like forcing him to drink it. Right. And that was pre-attack. And I always feel uh, that would drawing is like so descriptive of like his mentality like or how i imagine it would be yeah uh it's funny we don't get a real um sense of what he was like before the attack other than that really except that it's like he got he was in the navy he uh got married got a divorce at some point mm -hmm. and then became an alcoholic for several years yeah because it looks like they're getting married in the 80s. Yeah. And the attack happens in like 2000. Yeah. And I think I read somewhere that he was only married for like four or five years. Oh, okay. So that's like a decade span-ish or so where he's just a jerk alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't want to like play all my cards on like my feelings on this movie right away. But really, you know, on paper it's a documentary about like a guy who like formed his own therapy about things. But... Really, the bigger picture is it's like a meditation, like it's a little like reduced st or like a synthesis story of like what it is to like be an artist. Mm. I feel that his, because he's not able to recall a lot of like specific moments or like full backgrounds and associations. Sure, sure. He just has sort of quick associations and feelings on things right. with no context. And, you know, they say that, like, we can't imagine something brand new. We just rearrange what we already know mm. into, and, like, that's what we create. And, like, that's what he did. Like, he yeah. creates these, like, little doll worlds. Like, he goes to hobby shops and gets dolls and creates Marwin Call is the name of this town in Belgium. And it takes place during World War II. Right. And it's always under attack from the SS. Right. Uh, but it's, it's its own little, you know... Uh, fiefdom, you know, the way that he portrays it. Yeah. Americans and Germans were wandering into the town either because they were lost or they just came across the town. There was one rule in my town. They had to be friends, be friendly with each other, behave. So they did. They were. What's crazy about it is, like, how, A, he incorporates people from his real life into it. Yeah, so and the, it's an honor. A lot of people consider it. Yeah, right. like, his friends, his boss, co-workers, his, his mother. I gotta have my mom in here. You know, he makes dolls in their likeness. Uh, you know, for the females, it's usually, like, a Barbie doll of some sort. Right. You know, a modified Barbie doll. Uh, for the men, it's, you know, it's not G.I. Joe's, but it might enough. as well be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he takes, you know, active real world experiences, puts them in, but, it, it, you know, he has a real Navy background and a lot of the times like the Germans are angry because they want a drink, like in his like little scenarios that <coughs> right. he picks up right, right, right. and they're angry at him. Because he owns a bar in Marwin Call. His, yeah. Their, his alter ego of himself owns a bar. Hoagie's place. Like yeah. Hogan camp. It's like Hogan's camp. I right. Think. Yeah. He also he also owns next door is a is a cat fight place called uh, the ruined the ruined stocking. stocking. And that was one of the things that like really made me realize that his association because he probably doesn't have any actual context 
for like a stocking that's ruined right and to like make it sort of like semi-sexual like that it's probably just a phrase or an idea that he heard in passing and just has this association of like a lasciviousness mm-hmm. and so he made like and the he builds the world around it yeah exactly like yeah just his emotional reaction to the idea of a ruined stocking he like staged cat fights yeah exactly with all these women that founded uh marwin call <laughs> yeah and like it's just miniatures of everything like one sixth yeah. the size i think is, mm-hmm. is what he says and he, he photographs these stories so he's like he it, i read that he thinks of himself as a director but he's actually just a photographer mm-hmm. um and the shots are amazing i think like they look real yeah like they're, they're definitely dolls yeah but they're framed in such a way that it that their surroundings don't look fake it doesn't look like a, mm-hmm. a small thing in a bigger world they look like they're in their proper like a, a real world scenario so it kind of reminded me of todd haynes's superstar sure because when you watch it you think like oh this is a barbie doll playing karen carpenter like yeah. you think it's going to be winky and stuff like that but it's played out not Mm-hmm. Like, it's played out like a real biopic would play out. It just happens to be with dolls. Right. And, you know, one of the people in this says... Like, the thing that struck me immediately about Mark's work is that there's no irony in it, as far as I can tell. I mean, he's a very clever guy and very smart, but he's in the work. He's not using the work as a tool to, to do something else. The work is him. Todd Haynes did the same thing. Like, it wasn't this winky, like, isn't this funny sort of thing to the audience. Yeah. It was, dolls were really just in the place of actors and actresses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's in service of working through these things, I think. So, like, you mentioned earlier how the SS is, like, his um, needing a drink. Like, they're only come to fight when they need a drink kind of thing. But it's also, like, they kidnap him and punish him. The SS does his alter ego and uh several times and he gets you know saved by somebody mm-hmm. every time this happens um and that's just like a way of him working through his attack yeah oh absolutely and it happens on a regular basis like i, re- I was reading an, uh an interview with him and he says like oh yeah i've killed those guys like so many different ways and it's different every time and mm-hmm. like just you know one time he said that he actually just like reached his hand into the picture frame, his actual hand, and touched them and they disappeared. <laughs> so it's like, you know, he's just creatively thinking of ways to get back at these guys. And his his attorney even says at one point, it's like... It's nice to be able to, you know, somebody hurts you, you can, without any violence, right. you know, get back at them. I think without, like, a sense of association, like, strong sense of memory, like, he doesn't know what's cliche, and, like, that's almost freedom for him sure like he's not worried that like someone else did it or or that the idea has been done like mm-hmm. he's approaching every idea as if it's new like it's not him mimicking yeah. someone else's idea and he's not approaching it from a way of thinking like i want to make art or i'm doing this with this intention mm-hmm. he's just like creating to work through shit yeah like he's like when the dude who ends up introducing him to the editor is like because I'm a photographer. I always choose that. How do you manage all your your assets and your negatives? And he goes, I'll never even keep the negatives. Really, I don't think the negatives. I throw them away. Because it's like 
he doesn't care. He's just like, oh, I take these pictures for me, and they help me, like, build a story and help me, like, make sense of my world. Yeah, near the end, he talks about how, like, he wishes he could live in Marwin Call. Yeah. And there's a Ingmar Bergman quote that he's like, I can't always live in my life, but I can always live in my art. Mm. And, I mean, Ingmar Bergman had a slew of personal problems, you know. He has, like, two or three kids, but, like, none of them are from, like, a marriage. Oh, my. <laughs> uh... And yeah, it was like his personal life was always like falling apart around him, and so he would just make movies instead of like dealing with you know the people in his life. Yeah. And this is sort of the same thing. Like he can't go and take his anger out on the people who you know beat him up. Right. But he can do this instead. And it's not only helping him mentally. All the stuff he does helps him regain his physical strength too. Making the miniatures. Because, yeah, because he got severe brain damage from this. We should, I mean, like I said, he was in a coma for nine days. He was in the hospital for 40 days after that. Mm -hmm. And he was getting therapy, but then his Medicaid ran out. And then they were just like, well, we can't help you anymore. Yeah. And so he had to come up with his own therapies at that point or, you know, waste away. And so this, there's a couple examples of it, like just like forming the dolls and making all their little clothes and things like that, or getting them dressed and stuff, helps with his dexterity. Mm-hmm. But then also, he walks his his jeep. I started needing vehicles for my town, and the tires they look so brand new. They got a little factory seam around everyone. It looks like it just rolled off a showroom. I don't want that. It makes the pictures look more realistic. But it also helps him practice walking. Yeah. So it's like, it's got this double... Yeah, he he talks about just, like, walking along the straight line on the side of the road, like, helped him regain, like, his sense of balance. Yeah. And everything like that. But he also talked about how he needed to, like, put, like, 40 miles on, like, each new car that he bought. Yeah. Because they Uh, didn't look right. (laughs) Yeah, because he needed the tires to look scuffed up. Yeah. I mean, the sets are incredible. Everything looks distressed. Oh, yeah. And, like, oh, yeah. He, he has his main alter ego character walking around with a, a deed to Hogan's place that he made that's, like, you know, I, what is that? An inch square piece of paper that he's written stuff on I mean, and yellowed, and it looks crazy. Miniatures are always pretty cool like, yeah. when you get real detailed with them. And, like, one of the little details was in the ruin stocking. There's, like, a little notice. Like, in the yeah. mirror that says, like, all cat fights are staged by the staff here. No women are actually fighting each other. No one is actually getting hurt. Yeah. Like, there's just, like, a little disclaimer in the window of this 18-inch bar. He felt that it was necessary enough to the realism of this world that he's creating to make that little sign. Like, he had to sit down and write that all out. And, and I mean, this goes back to, like... You know, it's a meditation on the creative process. Like, no one's making him do this. Like, he's doing it for its own sake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it makes him feel good. He likes this world that he's making, and that's all there is to it. And I gotta say, like, props to his community, too, for, like, accepting this guy and helping him out. Because it's gotta be super difficult to be him living in that community and then, you know, coming over to people and be like, I made a doll of you and I'm playing with it, you know, and then have them be like, cool, Mark, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Let me know how that works out. Like, even, what's her name, Colleen, he, like, falls in love with Colleen, who's living across the street, the blonde woman. Yeah, his neighbor who's married. Yeah, and she's like... My husband's just like, you know, you gotta 
be aware. Be, just be aware. And uh, yeah, she just tells him at one point when he starts saying like, and then our dolls got married, da, 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 and she's like, all right, well, this is now getting weird to me. He just like makes her disappear. So I go outside, sulking and stuff. And there's Deja Thoris, the Belgian witch of Marwin Call. Deja just figures she's gonna point her gloved finger at Colleen and poof her out of her shoes, get rid of her forever out of Marwin Call. Just get rid of her for me. This is like a very healthy creative relationship for, for everybody involved, you know, because she was letting him, she's like, she wasn't freaked out when he built the doll. She yeah. wasn't like, all right, this is weird. She's just like, go for it. Tell me how it turns out. And then once she got uncomfortable, she said something, and he just, like, took her out of the storyline. No yeah. problems. Yeah. What's weird is, like, he doesn't seem unhappy. Like, he talks about how he needs this as therapy and how yeah. really, like, this is, you know, a huge, important part of his life. But even when he talks about, like, the attack or anything before, he doesn't actually seem sad at all. Like, you never hear him say, like, I wish I had my old life back, or I wish I had all my memories. Well, or... he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't remember his old life, so how can he Well, right, he talks about something. how he doesn't drink anymore, because he doesn't remember what alcohol tastes like, he doesn't remember the sensation of being drunk. After the attack, when I started coming around back here, I looked at the bottles, and I don't get that same feeling. I, nothing happens when I look at the bottle. It's like liquid, fluid, that's it. I mean, if I don't remember what it was like to be drunk, or what it tastes like, then I don't miss it. But at the same time, you'd think that, like, when he looked at photographs, like, even when he's going through, like, his wedding photographs and stuff like that, mm. and he says, like, he has the sensation of, like, those moments, he doesn't look longingly or, like, you He's know, just like, my wife was hot. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, clearly I did all right for myself. <laughs> but, you know, he never, it never seems like he lets his situation get him down. Yeah. You know, even though he only works, like, part-time as a bar sweep. One day a week. And it's really just funding his hobby mm -hmm. of making Marlon call. He, he never has this mentality of, like, I wish my life was better. Yeah, and I think that owes to maybe making Marlon call. Because it's like, anytime he seems to be having an issue, he works it out through that, yeah. that little city. You know, he seems to be able to just come up with a plot line. I would say that, and then I'd also say this community, once again, it seems, like, very supportive of him and wants to see him succeed, you know? Like... I mean, we should stress, like, how bad his memory was. He had to learn to walk and write and talk from scratch. Yeah. They mentioned that early on his mom is like... To see your 38-year-old son having to learn how to eat again, taking his first steps... I mean, seeing your 38-year-old son starting to walk again and, and seeing it, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. I mean, that, that's how rough it was. Like, it wasn't like, oh, he has, like, partial amnesia. It's like, no, he forgot how to do everything and had to relearn all his basic skills over again. This is so gross. I read an interview with him today where he was talking and he said that his skull was fractured so much that the doctor had to pop his eye out and rest it on his cheek, vacuum out all the bone fragments in his eye socket, and then put the eye back in. Yeah. Whoa. It's just like, all because... So, spoiler alert, I suppose. He's at a bar. This incident happens because he's at a bar. He's just talking with some people, and he, like, reveals to them that he's a cross-dresser. 
his words. I don't know if that's the proper term or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just decide to beat the shit out of him because of that. Yeah. It's the stupidest... It's the stupidest reason for anybody to get beat up. It's not even because he was... Yeah, he just... Currently, like, wearing women's clothing. They're not women's dresses. They're my dresses. I buy them. But, yeah, he just says that he wears, you know, high heels and dresses. And that's why they beat him yeah. up. And he doesn't even remember that part of it. This is just something that people have told yeah. him. That's how bad his memory loss was. Yeah. This is, they just told him that this is how it happened. And I looked it up. One person got nine years, the, like, main ringleader of the whole thing. Two of the people got five years in prison, and two of the other ones just got parole. So it's, like, it seems pretty lenient for, yeah. for atta- five people attacking one guy, causing him permanent brain damage. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Anyway. Anything, um, like, short of self-defense, like, I kind of have a tough time justifying... Uh, violence. Yeah. So the idea of inflicting violence upon someone because they said that they sometimes wear dresses and high heels. Yeah. That seems real absurd to me. Especially this kind of violence, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, brink of death violence. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, he wears women's shoes. And I think... That's a fun reveal in this documentary. It gets stranger by the moment, doesn't it? 218 pair of women's essence. And it's fun knowing that ahead of time. There's little subtle cues that like mm. he's going to make this reveal later. Um, so which is kind of savvy filmmaking. But it's just an interesting reveal because he doesn't feel uncomfortable revealing that either you know mm-hmm. like when he was got home from the hospital his roommate who also took care of him which again you know props to his community was like when he got out of the hospital he sees these whole shelf of high heels and uh he says to me do i have a girlfriend that lives here and i said no and he says well What's with all the shoes? And I said, well, Mark, uh, those are your shoes. Uh, you buy them, you collect them, and you wear them. <laughs> Which is like, holy shit, he had a roommate who was just like, yeah, I don't care. Yeah. You know, like, you're, we live together, it's fine. Like, I just think that's so great. <laughs> <laughs> he talks about near the end how he, like, wants to go to the event, like, in a gown and high heels, no. but he knows that, like, he shouldn't. And, like, they show him in high heels, like, sort of near the end. He's like, I'm just doing this for me. Like, this is what I want to do. But, yeah, he sort of is like, no, I know that I I shouldn't do it this way. His whole, well, so, like, yeah, he gets his work shown in a gallery in New York. Mm -hmm. And the whole time he's really excited because he's like, I think I can wear shoes because there'll be, it's in Greenwich Village. There'll be lots of other freaks like me there and I can wear whatever. And he, like, is trying to build up the courage to wear them, the whole art show, and doesn't build up that courage until the very end when everybody's gone yeah and while it's really exciting to see him wearing the shoes and just being like yeah these are my shoes <laughs> um and i like wearing them and you know he's, there's like four or five people around him being like that looks great um it is heartbreaking because it's also like and everybody's gone though. yeah there's so, like a, a few like patrons still around yeah it no wasn't really good crowd fucking man shoes he also kind of talks about how and this is something that i like he talked about how, like, he was going to be there, but he didn't want to, like, talk about how, like, the meaning behind everything. Mm-hmm. Like, he seemed to understand, like, what makes art so appealing isn't, like, the director or the artist being there and telling you exactly what they meant by it. Like, yeah. he sort of understood that, like, you know, I might talk about 
the craft of it or something like that, but I'm not gonna like explicitly say like what I was going for, what this is specifically meaning. Yeah. Like he knew that like part of it, like you know, people might might want to know the form or the you know technical aspects of it, but you know, I'm not gonna tell them like what it means or is supposed to mean. I'm like, that's really cool. Like yeah. he seems to understand that like part of the appeal of this is not knowing the literal definition of everything. Yeah. And he's happy to tell the story behind the photos yeah. that he's made up. He's like, oh, well, here's the background on this. This is why they're all standing here doing this, da 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 But, like, it's not coming from, a, like, and I photographed it this way because I wanted to show this, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. He's just like, yeah, I took some pictures of this story that I was telling. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, I like the story that he tells because there's like a, uh, one of the stories at least is, you know, his alter ego is kidnapped by the SS and is like being held in a church. Uh And then the women in the town come and save him. And they went into town with their hands behind their back and each hand was carrying a pistol. And they waltzed into town. Anna grabbed my revolver from the town German and the three of the girls went into the church and just like precision surgeon, they eliminated the SS. And I like that because it sort of seems like an exploitation film that, Mm -hmm. you know, that has just these like you know, babes coming in, shooting up this church full of Nazis. Yeah. And it always kind of reminds me, like, you know, there's always, like, a crop of critics who feel like, oh, if only Quentin Tarantino had, you know, grown up watching Mike Lay or Ken Loke or something like that, you know, just imagine the art that he could make, you know. Jesus. (laughs) Instead of, you know, he watched, you know, a bunch of exploitation films Mm -hmm. and, you know, gritty westerns and stuff like that. And this sort of plays into it. It's like, no, like, exploitation is still art. It's just a different type of, like, instead of classy. Yeah. Like, this is one that has, you know, we talked at length about Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. Yeah. Like, just because, like, the women in it have huge busts doesn't mean that he's not, like, accurately, like, trying to tell a story or, like, convey something or express something totally so the fact that yeah uh hogan camp was doing these like exploitation type storylines just because it happens to be like barbie dolls and fishnet stockings doesn't take away from like the craft and the detail of the rest of the story yeah his character always gets saved by women like Mm. that's just like how it always goes and so i would argue that like for him it's sort of like recognizing the fact that like he has this female side of like putting mm. on ladies' shoes and ladies' clothing, and even though revealing that to someone is what got him beat up, it's still a part of him, and it's more important to be honest about that. That's what's going to save him in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's that's something he's kind of working out okay. with these dolls. Is also maybe like you know just like the longing for a woman in his life. Like, do you know who Henry Darger is? No. He's like an outsider artist who created this uh, huge world and wasn't discovered until like a month before he died. So mm-hmm. it's, it's actually really tragic. Was story. he the one that was like a janitor or something? Yeah. Oh, I know that there's like a documentary. Yeah. It's incredible art. He, he wrote like a 15,000 page book about it. Like oh, it's okay. huge um, with all these 
elaborate paintings and stuff that he just did on newsprint and stuff. It's really amazing. But like he inserted himself into his stories and was saved by these Vivian girls several mm, times. Okay. And uh, you could interpret that as like wanting to be saved by love or saved by, you know, another woman kind of figure in your life. And I think that there's like some parallels going on here. Well, I know a lot of people who cross-dress like they do it because they feel like Ed Wood said that he did it because it made him feel closer to women. Yeah. Like it, it wasn't necessarily sexual, but it was like sensual that wearing women's clothing made him feel more like on their wavelength, like more attuned. Yeah. And to you their don't get feeling. any impression that Mark is getting sexual gratification from it. No, no, not at all. Not from this movie anyway. It sort of at least portrayed that like, you know, he hasn't gotten any since his accident. Yeah. Uh, but like one of his character time travels. Yeah. And he shows like the time travel device. This is Deja Thoris's time machine. And I'm proud of it. <laughs> It was an old VCR that um, ate one of my best porno tapes. Which I thought was great. And then, like, he, like, glued some modifications to, like, the inside of this VCR. And he's like, well, this is the time travel machine for my characters now. And it was, even the ones that he took the photos of her using the time machine looked so cool. Yeah. Like, you can tell that it's, you know, just electronic components. But somehow he manages to make it actually look like some kind of spaceship thing that she's dialing knobs and yeah. things on. So, don't really know how, what that magic is that he does with them, but um, it's cool. Yeah, I mean, he he really does have an artistic eye in terms of like creating things like the color and the look and the feel and like the texture of everything is just like immaculate. You know, mm. you could almost like take him to Hollywood and put him in any sort of behind the scenes position, whether it be like costumes or sets or props or yeah. just like even like you know i'm sure he could learn how to you know use lenses and lighting and things like that and mm-hmm. be like more on the technical end and you know i feel like in the long run he'd figure it out because the way that his especially his photography is set up and there's even like some stop motion stuff in there yeah uh just it, it's really crafty and it really made me think of like a lot of sort of the classic shots in Hollywood, like the hero pose or something like that, sure. really came about because, you know, that's the way we perceive this type of image. It's not like we watch a movie that has a hero shot and we, we've we been conditioned to know that, that this is the hero shot. It really, it's the other way around. Like, we perceive this as a hero shot. Why? I don't know. Right. But, like, that's why that shot has become famous, because it works. Right. Like, it's not that, yeah, we've been trained the to see way it this around. way. We see it this way, and it works. The way that he does the photographs are, like, very sort of, like, classic Hollywood war or romance movie, but he doesn't have a lot of these associations. Like, who knows how many movies he's seen past his accident, but the stuff that he's making still has, like, a classic sense to it. He can't be drawing on anything that happened pre-accident. Yeah. It has to be stuff he's watched since then. Yeah. Um... Either that or, like, when he's taking the photos, he just knows that, like, that works and he has nothing to justify it. He just looks at it and says, like, this is how I want to do it. It's really pure creativity in that way, where he, like, he can't reference other things, really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's just, like, this is, this works, I think this looks good. And I was talking earlier about how I feel, like, without a literal association, like, that's its own form of freedom in a creative medium, at least. And the singer-songwriter Towns Van Sant mm. had, like, 
he, he like battled depression all his life, but like even in his adolescence he did. He was he huffed glue as a teenager. Mm. And he Who passed didn't? out. <laughs> he passed out once while huffing glue and the glue seeped into his mouth. Oh no. And so they had to crack his teeth. So all of his teeth, like as an adult, were fake. But his parents were like, he's huffing glue so much, which he did a lot. Uh, they thought like, oh, he must be depressed, which he was. And they sent him to an asylum and they gave him electroshock treatments. Oh, man. And he said that the electroshock treatment erased all his memories, like, before he was 17. Hmm. And so, like, when people talked about an event, he could remember sense, like, anything but visual memory of it. Like, if you talked about, like, a cake or a drink, like, he could remember the taste or the smell or something like that. Uh, Or if someone, like, played a song, he could remember, like how it went but like he couldn't remember someone like performing it Mm -hmm. Uh, and I kind of feel like that like sense of like other senses but not visual like helped him write songs in a lot of ways like he could remember distinctly how something felt sure but nothing else so that helped him like write feelings Mm. but without a a literal story to back it up and I kind of feel like he's the same way like yeah he probably is just like this feels right. Yeah. This feels like it and conveys that's what I'm totally to guiding mm. how he does his art. Yeah. Is just this feels like the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I mean, art is supposed to evoke a response in that way, like a f- make you feel something, or yeah. at least like create a discussion, start have a jumping off point for a discussion. And um, if he can, if he can get that across, then. Yeah, it's it's capital A art, I think. And I do think that this is like yeah. the photographs are amazing. Oh, they're so good. And so there's that part in this documentary where um, somebody says the guy who works for the magazine is What like, I really love is for somebody to come along and a gallerist or a, a, a dealer or a curator and say, This is really interesting work. I'd like to help him show it on a regular basis. I think that the really ideal thing would be for him to, to know that when he makes work from now on out, there are going to be people ready and waiting to see it. And that has happened, apparently, mm-hmm. in Kingston, where he lives. Oh, okay. Uh, so there's a gallery that sort of, like, represents him, curates various shows with him every, I don't know, quarterly, we'll say? I don't know. Um, but uh, Every season. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's great. I mean, like, so then he's, yeah. got, he's working towards something. He probably gets paid for it. Um, I mean, stuff like that, like, just giving you something to look forward to yeah. is a bit... I definitely look forward to listening to our episodes every Monday. <laughs> oh, uh, indeed. Yeah. Working but, on something. I mean, it also... It's also an, an interesting meditation on, like, the therapeutic natures of art and creating. How, you know, you never see him get violent or really angry in the movie. And, and when you do, he just says it makes me... It makes me turn to this and work through it this way well it's like the the angriest i hear him is when he's sort of uh imitating the ss and these guys want to know where the bar was where's the bar one drink because i remember that's the way i was when i was a alcoholic cry or want to drink you know i remember that and it really makes me think like okay this is like the anger from like him being beaten up but it's also like maybe like a little latent alcoholism Absolutely. in there like coming out 
but he's just channeled it into this like really healthy outlet. Yeah. And what's um, great? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Like you I know, guess if, if, if anyone who had some sort of social or emotional disorder could channel it the way that Hogan Camp has channeled it, like yeah. you know, the world would be a better place. On the Blu-ray that I rented, I looked at some of the bonus features, and one of them was like some shorts of like the stories. Mm. Oh, cool! And a lot of it was just like yeah, him being kidnapped by the SS and like various ways that he was saved. Mm-hmm. You know, like just a variation on that theme. Uh, one of them though was like he was his reaction to this documentary. Oh, and he was really happy with it. He talks okay. about how. This is a story that he wanted to tell if he had the vocabulary to tell it. Mm. I love some meta-ness in my, <laughs> in my programming, and uh, I'd kind of forgotten how this gets really meta at the end, like oh, okay. after the art gallery, and then he starts making his alter ego become a photographer of a miniature world. <laughs> I was just like, oh, yes. yes, yes, yes. He, and, and he, like, um, I mean... I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too far because then, you know, what, at what point does uh, does his alter ego get, Start like, the documentary? Because the documentarian who does this, like, gets integrated into the world, too. So, you know, we get, like, this connected to New York thing going on where it's just, like, this infinite hole. But um, I just love, uh, I love that element to it that uh, the, even the documentary, the guys making the documentary gets integrated into Marwin Call. <laughs> yeah. one, one of the other things was uh, he, he made... A red carpet premiere miniature <laughs> and put it at the actual red carpet premiere for this. Oh man! But it's all the people who live in Marwin Call, uh-huh. like all like the 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 main players. Okay. Uh, and it's like them getting out of a limo and like walking down a red carpet, and it was like at the red carpet before the premiere. So wild. <laughs> and it's like the funny thing is, is that like it makes total sense for him. Yeah. It's like that's his world. You yeah. Know? Like that's what's been going on for him since this accident. He so. seems so chill. Yeah. Like whenever like he's not actively in Marvel Call, like he's just sitting on the couch smoking. Yeah. He seems like a cool dude. Oh, I read that there's going to be uh, a film coming out next year directed by Robert Zemeckis, starring Steve Carell, about Hogan Camp, Mark Hogan Camp. Okay. And at first, I was really excited when I read it because I think I read it that it's going to be the story of Marwin Call. Okay. So it'll be like, you know, real life people and then like time traveling witches and like, you know, people getting their marriage photos taken in front of like people hanging bloodied behind them. But then I realized like it might actually be about Mark, Mark Hogan camp. Yeah. And have it be Steve Carell playing him like a biopic kind of thing. I feel like that's more likely. I know, but how cool would it be the other way? Maybe it's a combo. Maybe it'll be a combo of the two where it shows like reenactments of his fantasies. Yeah. 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 That might be cool. I mean, Robert Zemeckis hasn't made a good movie since, you know, Death Becomes Her. You're a fraud, Helen. You're a walking lie, and I can see right through you. <laughs> I like the idea of actually turning his his stories, stories into, into a feature yeah. length. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I think that would be really cool. Overall, this movie just, it makes me feel really good, and it makes me feel optimistic about what people can do. I mean, if you're definitely drawn towards just, like, creativity and creating as a general plus, Mm -hmm. like, this is definitely right up your alley then. Like, if you think that, 
you know, everyone, regardless of their walk of life, should be creative, make things, you know, find some sort of creative outlet, then, like, this movie just, like, justifies that way of thinking, like, up and down. Even if you work out your issues through non-creative means, say, I don't know. Sex. Sex? Uh, Nothing less creative than that. (laughs) I was going to say... Is the way I do it, at least. Shadow (laughs) boxing, but, you know. (laughs) Fight clubs. Yeah. Uh, now we're getting shoplifting. <laughs> oh dear! Murder, alcoholism, non-destructive means. Then, great. You know, this movie makes me happy. So, I uh, I hope it made you happy too. It did a little bit in some way. Next week, we're trying something novel. Someone else, a non-ex, is choosing a movie. It's so new, we don't even know what it is. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Clark of Scarecrow fame, of Animatic Cinematic, of Clark the Vote Productions, of Conversation Pieces podcast, of, of you know, of Laugh Hole even, for those who have been around that long. <laughs> will be joining us and we are letting him pick a movie yeah and so we're not even sure yet what we'll be talking about it's like the white flavor of airheads the mystery flavor <laughs> yeah. you know is always watermelon <laughs> see i always just assumed it was they just ran a batch at the end of whatever they were making without the dye yeah so oh, yeah sometimes i swear it was like just like the grape one <laughs> but yeah i mm-hmm. know so it's uh, next week, Kevin Clark. It's going to be something new. Uh, I think he's picking a movie that neither of us have seen. We'll see. Trying something new. Yeah. Do you want to plug our junk? I would like to plug our junk, but I want to start this time. Hey, you, listener. Like, review, rate on iTunes, please. Pretty please. It would help us not commit murder on other people. Visit our new website, xratedmovies.com. There, I said a due date for us. Shit. Okay, well, here we go. You can also follow us on Twitter and see all our witty ramblings. It's at xratedmovies. And like or follow us on Facebook, at ratedxmovies. That's definitely the best way to find out what's coming up next. Mm-hmm. It just shows up right there in your feed. Mm-hmm. Ready to go. Amazing. Technology. <laughs> Next week, we'll uh, be back with a Kevin Clark selection. Thanks for listening. And uh, don't forget your 218 pairs of women's shoes. Bye. Bye.